0: This is TC Daily and I'm Duncan McLeod and this is our final show for 2022 and the final time that I'm going to be reminding you please to subscribe to our channel. You can do that on YouTube at youtube.com techcentral and uh, while you're at it why not subscribe to our daily newsletter techcentral.co.za slash newsletter and you'll get all the latest local and international tech news including this show delivered to your inbox every morning at 5 a.m. But before we all disappear on our Christmas holidays, we have one final interview for the year, and I'm very pleased to welcome Rob Godlinton, CEO of Plus One X, into the studio. Rob, it's great to see you. How are you doing?
1: Very well. Thank you very much, Duncan. I really appreciate the opportunity uh, Right, uh, leading up to Christmas to have a little chat to you and explain what we're doing at Plus One X and... Where are we going to? So thanks well, for the opportunity.
0: Well, pleasure. Thanks for coming into the studio. I think many people in the IT industry know you quite well, or know your name at least. Uh, you've, um, you've worked for some of the biggest companies in the space. I was actually having a look at your LinkedIn a bit earlier.
1: You started your career at PeopleSoft. Indeed. Well, so I, didn't, I actually started my career in, uh, as an accountant in Durban at Unilever. Oh, all IT career <laughs> My IT <then>. career, <laughs> 100%. I, um, and yeah, I had, I had the opportunity living in the U.K., um, and actually was implementing Oracle Financials at the time, uh, but as an accountant mm-hmm. and had the opportunity to uh, join PeopleSoft uh, as an implementation manager. And that's actually when uh, uh, the love for tech uh, started back in uh, 1996.
0: So, Was it around that time that Oracle bought PeopleSoft? A little bit later bit than later? that, yeah. Mm-hmm. But
1: there is a little story behind uh, my career and, and uh, Oracle buying PeopleSoft. So I worked for PeopleSoft uh, from 96 to Two thousand and and then started my first business mm-hmm. as an implementation partner, and um, and we scaled up that business and uh, were fortunate enough to uh, to sell that business to um, to an American company called Infogain. Um and you know my first experience of acquisitions, and I'll come back and talk about acquisitions and join us a bit later, um, but you know from a from a People PeopleSoft perspective, um, we built a business, uh, and then Oracle bought PeopleSoft. Mm. Um, and it was an interesting, interesting times there because it actually created an opportunity for me to join another uh, organisation called Cedar Consulting, uh, okay. also in the in the PeopleSoft space. So, you know, that that you, you're right, that was that was my my love for tech and understanding of tech, and uh, you know, it went through the Y2K uh, bubble with PeopleSoft, right. and then got into the the dot the com uh, side of things. Uh, also, with Peoplesoft, on you know they were the fir- they were actually the first client server organization to move to um, the internet, uh, mm-hmm. you know side of side of things. So, Peoplesoft ahead of their times. Um, and interestingly, I'm not sure if you're aware that a lot of the leaders of Peoplesoft went on after Oracle bought them mm-hmm. uh, to find fa- to to be the founders of Workday. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So um, I often say to people, you know, and, and probably get myself into trouble and say, you know. Um, you know, Workday is PeopleSoft on steroids because they what they did is they took time off and reflected on where where the market was going, and yeah. so that's how they bought out a, a a cloud platform in the enterprise resource planning space um, as Workday. So, and you know, it is fascinating to see how people um, you know sort of build out new mm. tech based on what's happening in the world. So that
0: was a hell of an acquisition back at the time that Oracle did. It was multi billion dollar, and back then it was that was a
1: lot of money. It and, was indeed, yeah,
0: and yeah, uh, and uh, Oracle shut down the PeopleSoft name pretty quickly.
1: Um, yeah, so interesting, uh, um, uh, Duncan. On, on the on the PeopleSoft side of things, the the brand and the technology and the human capital space is still operating. Is still the brand still there? The brand is still oh. there. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So so actually, they kept two two brands, um, uh, and the one with, one is JD Edwards, which uh, yeah, I remember JD Edwards? Yeah. Uh, so, Because PeopleSoft bought JD Edwards before
0: Oracle, bigger
1: fish and bigger fish. So, so (laughs) it's always fascinating, and it has been fascinating for me around acquisitions, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But you know, sitting there and and, uh, you know the Craig Conway, um, who who actually worked for Larry Ellison, and and I think one of the things that people don't actually appreciate in our space is how many top uh, leaders um, you know Larry Ellison produced over the years, because Mm. you know you got Tom Siebel. Um, you know, mm-hmm. who, um, uh, um, from a CRM side of things in those early days came from Oracle uh, Mark Benioff Salesforce came from Oracle right. uh, yeah, also one of uh, one of Larry's uh, lieutenants um, but going back to that uh, the PeopleSoft um, sort of tried to, well bought uh, JD Edwards with the hope of not then mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the hope that Oracle wouldn't buy uh, PeopleSoft because it had got so big already mm-hmm. but uh Larry being Larry, I acquired both of them at the time. Right. Um, and, you know, the, the idea was to fuse the, product, the, the products together, uh, and they did. They took a lot of the good learnings and good tech out of both J.D. Edwards and, and PeopleSoft um, and, and built out Oracle Fusion. But they've still kept, in, in, specifically in two areas for PeopleSoft, in the higher ed sp- high education space uh, in, US, in the USA, um, PeopleSoft dominated, and, and in the human capital uh, HR side of they dominated mm-hmm. Uh, and JD Edwards, I do believe, is still around and very strong in the supply chain and manufacturing side of things. But okay. yeah, so it's fascinating these companies and uh, right. you know, what they do.
0: Right, and and you um, made your first foray into the IT services, the sort of system integrator market, I think, around the mid two thousands when you joined Dimension Data.
1: Yeah, so correct. Uh, mm. uh, so, well, I was had uh, had the opportunity and. Uh, you know, people often ask me why? Why did I come back to South Africa? You know, after spending twelve years, thirteen years in in the UK, and, and it was really around. Uh, you know, wanted to make a difference already in South Africa. Uh, the quality of life—it's it's a phenomenal country. It's got amazing opportunities, um, and had the opportunity to join Dimension Data uh, in the on the global sales side of things. So. Uh, and Still based in the UK? Uh, so I started in the UK. Before uh, well, you the, came back here. And, and mm-hmm. then came back with them. So the, the plan was uh, to start there. And then I, and I, spent, f- I spent four years um, you know, with Dimension Data. And I think the biggest learning that I would take out of uh, that experience and, and what uh, the likes of Jeremy Ord and Doc Watson and, and, and the team had got right, in the early days they were obsessed with their clients. And, mm-hmm. and I think probably my biggest learning from them And that I've taken into Plus One X is that client obsession, and and they really did uh, accelerate that because you know in in those days uh, on the back of Cisco they did um, they did amazing things in the Mm -hmm. in the networking space for South Africa and and enabling businesses. Yes.
0: Yes. Okay. So you were there for about four years or so, uh, and then I'm not sure it happened immediately, but you you then joined EOH. Um, what, what, what capacity did you start at EOH?
1: So yeah, yeah very very interesting question. So at the time, um, Asher Bobbit, who was the founder of EOH, um, was looking to to scale out the business. and uh, uh, because of my background in Peoplesoft and Oracle, um, I was uh, due to join them to head up the Oracle business. Um, but at the time, at the same time, Asher was talking to a gentleman called Andrew Krauser, who was the sales director for Oracle. And he came across. So I went and looked after um, four businesses within um, within EOH, uh, with a view to to acquiring more businesses uh, and scaling out those businesses. So uh, at the time, we called it the strategic business services um, you know, within EOH, and and mm. that's you know, Those are the first four businesses um, that that, you know, that form part of my portfolio. Yeah. That over a period of time we we scaled out. Okay.
0: And you moved on to other roles within EOH over time. Uh, just take us through very briefly your career history inside EO, EOH. Yeah,
1: sure. Um, so, yes, so I started off with um, you know, companies that were, um, you know, there was a company called Bromide, which was in the infrastructure and managed services. There was a company called CISPRO uh, that was in uh, in the ERP side of things. Um, and, and the strategy was to um, to acquire good entrepreneurial businesses Bring them to bring them into EOH, and and to scale them. So oh. my focus was that uh, you know from from day one, um, and over a period of time, you know we built built that up, acquiring businesses like uh, Bile in the Microsoft space, Airborne in the Microsoft space, uh, one being in Gauteng, one being in West Western Cape, and we built out the portfolio of technology businesses um, and and scaled those businesses, and we scaled them through a combination of um, you know, access to enterprise clients um, and through those entrepreneurial, uh, entrepreneurial people being able to build out their businesses on the platform um, and and that's how, that's how we scaled the business probably 50% organically and 50% uh, through acquisitions over the years mm-hmm. um, to scale out the, the ICT side of the business which yep. is what I you know, grew out and, and became responsible for um, over the years. Yeah.
0: So you, you, in effect, by the time you left EOH, you were running what became the Ioco IT services business.
1: Correct, yeah. Okay. Correct, yeah. So, what, I mean, one of the challenges and, you know, lessons learned from uh, from the EOH perspective is that we ended up with too many brands mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the customers say, well, you know, we, we're, we want the services from EOH, but it was never... An end-to-end service because it was so many different brands, and yep. uh, part of the part of the strategy um, in the latter part that we drove—it was myself and a gentleman called Simon Joss—was to bring those businesses together under the one brand, Ioka. Okay. Um And so, so we we, we delivered on, um, on on that as one brand. I'm, you know, very proud of of that achievement. Um, and it's, again, some of the lessons that I've learned, mm. I've, I've taken across to, to Plus One X from sure. that perspective, from the branding, persp- yeah. branding side of things. Why,
0: why did you end up leaving EOH in the
1: end? Um, yeah, very good question, uh, Duncan. So, you know, it, when you've been running hard for, for 10 years um, and as an entrepreneur at, at heart and, and working with these guys, I, f- I felt that it was the right time. Um, and myself and Stephen sat down. Uh, to, to move on Steven and Stephen
0: Van Kalle had joined already when you... Correct, okay. yeah. So, okay.
1: so Stephen had been there for about 18 months um, where we worked mm. together. So, you know, we decided that, you know, there was uh, you know, a different type of leadership needed right. for the organisation. So, you know, very fortunate that uh, I was able to you know, recharge the batteries and take right. uh, six to nine months out.
0: Did you yeah. see, I mean, was there a difference of strategy, a difference of agreement, a difference in approach to the strategy that you were looking to do and what Stephen was
1: looking um, to do? No, not really. No. I mean, it was just, just where, the, where the business was and, right. uh, you know, from uh, you know, uh, where, where we were taking the business. You know, the Ioco brand and the strategy was in place and, mm-hmm. uh, and we, we, you know, they've driven that uh, nicely. I mean, I'm, I'm very proud of, of okay. w- what, what they've achieved under the Ioco brand. I you know, yeah, there's some some yeah. great people there to uh, taking it forward. Yeah, you know, so yeah. Uh, good.
0: So you were with EOH for a good ten years or so. Um, were you shocked when you found out what was going on at EOH? Uh, I mean, the news broke about I think I think when the Department of Defense Microsoft contract. I think that was in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Yeah, um, and suddenly it became clear and a lot of people in the market have been whispering in the market for many years that there was malfeasance going on at EOH. Suddenly it was in the open. Yeah. State capture commission investigations, um, EOH appointed ENS Africa to that's correct, dig yeah. up what happened in the yeah. public sector contracts, etc. Looking back at, at, at everything that's happened, were you shocked when you saw all of the stuff?
1: Yeah, so obviously I mean, you're shocked, disappointed, and sad. You know, we we we'd built a great business there, and uh, again, lessons learned. You know, mm. on um, you know building the businesses. You know, we ended up with too many legal entities, um, and you know, controlling and managing what ha- what happens in so many different le- legal entities um, was was is difficult. Um, and again, lessons learned for Plus One X. You know, it's one of the things that we don't do is take mm. over the legal entities because. You know, when you've got people with control over legal entities, those are things. Those things happened, and you know, it was, you know, very disappointing, very sad uh, to you know uh, about what happened. Um, But yeah, I mean, uh, and yeah, shocked when stuff came out at the Zonda Commission. So, um, you know, unfortunately, those were those were the the call it the Zuma years, and it's yeah, it's very disappointing. But you know, again, if I go back and you know, you got to. You've got to learn from, you know, mistakes that people mm. have made. And one of those was, you know, too many entities, too many brands. Uh, right. And that allowed people that were, you know, to do things that they should never have done.
0: Right. Uh, so do you, was it chiefly, do you think, a governance problem at EOH? No, um,
1: yeah, it's a good that, question. That
0: it just, you know, that there wasn't central control over what was happening and that people could go off and pay bribes to government officials and all this sort of stuff. Um, I mean, is, is this fundamentally a governance issue at EOH that the top management lost control of what was going on inside the organisation?
1: Yeah, so it's, um, yeah, it's, I, mean, I think it's a combination of you know, have, having that visibility and, and control, uh, which, is, which is important. Um, and I think it's one of the key things that you know, Roynet and other organisations have got, got right. Um, and you, know, you, have, you have those controls. Um, but if you have so many entities, which is the challenge that we had at EOH, getting visibility of them and, and having entrepreneurs mm. doing things in, in those businesses yes, um, is, is hard. Um, so, you know, as part of one of the exercises I is, uh, with IOKA was to consolidate the number of entities. And, yeah. and just in IOKA, we had uh, 60-odd entities that we consolidated down to 12, mm. uh, 13 of those mm. those entities. So yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, It was a strategy that worked very well for EOH for many years, and I know it was led by Asha yeah. Bobot uh buying companies uh with eoh scrip um get, getting companies involved the share price was going up the share price kept going up in fact it kept going up for years and years and years and even many analysts were questioning whether this thing was whether the, this was a, a you know, house of cards waiting yep. to to collapse and in, in the end it turned out it was a house of cards that, and it ended up collapsing um do you think i mean if you look back at the way eoh was managed through the years that you were there and maybe before and yep. after that what do you think should have happened differently? Do you think that those acquisitions were, I mean, do you think there were too many acquisitions? Do you think that uh, EOH should have, um, should have consolidated them better? H- how could the organization have avoided getting into the mess that it eventually got into?
1: Um, yeah, so very good question. And, and uh, you know, again, lessons mm-hmm. learned there. So, you know, I think the fundamentally the business model for EOH w- was, was right. And mm-hmm. that was, if you look at it, you get uh, top quality businesses, people that know, you know, have run their businesses, you bring them on board onto, you know, you know into EOH, uh, you know, access to 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 enterprise clients, uh, access to working capital, and and you and you allow them to to scale their businesses, and you know, so you know, people used to ask, well, how can you continue growing? But we were growing organic organically, mm-hmm. at over 50 percent, uh, and and scaling up uh, nicely. And you know, to answer your question, you know, if there weren't you know, corrupt people, mm-hmm. I think. I do believe the business would continue to have scaled now you know the challenge is when you when you've scaled up to sixteen billion uh, in turnover and, you've got, and you got and the market expects you to grow by you know fifteen twenty percent that's hard you've got mm. to do other bigger acquisitions and and that's probably where to answer your question it was um probably not the, the volume of acquisitions it was the quality of acquisitions mm. um that in hindsight, it's, you know, it's easy to look back and say, okay, well, should they have done some of those, mm. some of those acquisitions? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do believe that, you know, the, the model uh, and what EOH was doing um, was the right thing. And I think a lot of people forget, you know, how we had scaled that business up to a substantial business. And I suppose the flip side of looking at it is that, you know, um, you know it's, it's Stephen and the team, uh, because of the, you know, the debt side of things, um, you know, have had to sell very good assets. So, so you, mm. know, you can go and say, well, you know, should we have acquired those? Those were good assets. And, and unfortunately, because of where mm. the debt is, they've had to sell some of those assets.
0: Do you think more could have been done by the management to unearth and, and, and deal with the corrupt elements within the organisation and what was going on, particularly in the public sector contracts? And, and was there, was there organisational awareness of really what was going on in, the, in some of those contracts?
1: Yeah. So again, good question, Duncan. It, it's very, you know, very difficult, um, you know, because of the way the entities were set up yep. to to have un, un, unlocked that. Uh, you know, the comment I do make to people is that you know those enterprise development partners mm-hmm. that unfortunately were corrupt were doing were enterprise development partners with, with uh, competitors of uh, of EOH at the time. So you know, the question does beg you know if ENS had reviewed those right. ones, you know, what would happen from that perspective? Yeah. yeah.
0: Lastly on EOH, sure, uh, your sure. thoughts on wh- where the organization is today? Do you think Stephen van Koller has uh, done a good job of rescuing the organization? And where do you think it's going? I mean, you must have a soft heart for the organization after having worked there for 10 years. Yes, yeah. uh, do you um, do you think that EOH's future is uh, is bright?
1: Yeah, so, it's, it's, so firstly, I mean, there's some, there are amazing people at EOH, you yeah. know, and uh, yeah, there colleagues and people that are still there. And, and so... You know, I wish wish the the company and the brand and Ioco you know, all the best out, out yeah. in the market. So, uh, and you know, Stevens got had a challenging job. You know, he's, yeah. he's there, he's been there now for four years. So, you know, he, he needs to execute to his strategy. Like my shareholders at uh, Roynet are expecting me from a plus one X perspective to execute execute to my strategy. So, yeah. you know, for now, you know, I just wish him wish him all the best and and, and the teams teams out there because yeah. many of them. Um, at EOH or colleagues uh, that I that yeah. I worked with, so um, yeah, I really do wish them the best. Yeah,
0: All right. Well, let's move on then to uh, talk about about Plus One X, which You're you sure. founded about two and a half years ago now. Um, what was the genesis of Plus One X? Uh, you you left EOH. You spent I think six or nine months thinking about what to do <laughs> next, and then Plus One X is what you decided to do. Um, what was the genesis of it, and how did the relationship with Roynet come about?
1: Yeah, so so the you know the the way that uh, uh, we created Plus One Xs. Uh, firstly, I was I was fortunate to have that time off, and you know, uh, the the more I thought about it, you know, uh, I say to people, if you, if you ha- if you're fortunate to have time off, then you need your friends that you know, ride bikes. I'm a big mountain biker, play golf. You need to they need to have time off at the same time. You right. know. And uh, it, this this was this is pre-COVID, so you know, when uh, everybody was working from eight to five. The, only, the people that would ride a mountain bike, they want to ride at six o'clock in the morning. I'm like, no, man, I'm I <laughs> not getting know. up that <laughs> early. I'm not getting up that early. Um, and so I had time off. Mm-hmm. And then the more I reflected on my, my experiences as an entrepreneur and building a business, mm-hmm. and I, I remember my early my first days going around and uh, trying to raise capital, and everybody said, oh, it's a "Great idea," but what's your experience? Well, you know, if I if I had had the experience and I raised capital, I wouldn't be asking for more capital. Um, so I was, uh, you know, that stuck in my head. You know, I've I've now got the experience of scaling businesses, and I was I was confident that I I could raise capital uh, from a from private equity players. The question was what, and the more I documented and you know sat down of, and, and uh, around the lessons I learned building mm-hmm. my own business, um, my lessons I learned back to earlier what I said about dimension data, that that client obsession, yeah, um, and then the lessons that that I learned about. Um, and understood from an eoh perspective you know getting entrepreneurs um on a platform and allowing them to scale their business Mm -hmm. and creating opportunities to improve people's lives the more i thought you know i can't sit back uh, and not do and and help people in south africa um so you know so from a plus one x perspective my wish was to create a a systems and a a solutions integrator that was tech agnostic and what do i mean by that you know it's In in South Africa, Dimension Data built their business on Cisco, Mm -hmm. you know, Synthesis on AWS, Mint on Microsoft. And, you know, that that makes sense. And uh, I think it is an option and a way to build your business. But really what I wanted to do is to build a business that was solving clients' problems. And yes, we'd have all the right tech certifications, but I didn't want to be a pure reseller. Um, and people often ask me, Rob, oh, but who are you looking to be when you when you wanted to build out plus one X?" And and I say, you know, if you, if you're looking for somebody, ultimately my dream is that you know we'd be the Accenture here in South Africa, um, that uh, is able to understand the client's problems, have the right people to deliver those solutions, and be South African, you know, and deliver those um, those solutions from here in South Africa. So so that's you know sort of the. Um, you know, the why behind um, plus one X. And mm-hmm. and really it is about, um, you know, the lessons that that, that I've learned in the past um, and raising capital to build something.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, you often describe yourselves as a new age system integrator. What do you mean by
1: that exactly? And so what, what I mean by that is the fact that we're not, um, you know, a, a built to, you know, well, aligned specifically to one technology. You know, okay. Ultimately, we, we look and we understand what the client's problems problems are and what are they trying to solve for their customers. And then we use the technology uh, to enable that. So, for example, at uh, Kia Retail, we're working with them on the digital media side. We're working with them on the software dev. We built their, um, uh, their their platforms for them and we've helped them move to the cloud. But ultimately... What is their goal? It's how do we, how do we help them sell more cars? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's where I'm coming from where, uh, uh, you know, as a solutions and systems integrator, mm-hmm. you know, New Age has just been reutilizing the, the, the latest technologies without being saying, okay, well, you know, you have to go AWS or you have to go Microsoft. Yep. They're unbelievable technologies. It's just working out. How can we help our, okay. help our clients from that perspective?
0: So you're not looking to be a Cisco Gold Partner or a Microsoft Gold Partner and that sort of thing?
1: Um, so we, 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 we are uh, in those examples. I mean, yeah. we've probably got one of the most certifications in Microsoft okay. as an example. But that's, so you do work closely with the vendors uh, we as well? We work very closely with the vendors and mm-hmm. you need those certifications. But if a, if a client, uh, like a large bank, is moving um, a lot of their, their, their um, applications yeah. um, to, in this case, it's to Microsoft Azure, We've got the certifications and we're helping them move their applications to the Azure cloud. Okay. At the same time, we're doing a, a similar exercise in AWS. So, so it is around what's your problem and the, and the tech, and, okay. and we are certified in, in those technologies.
0: So if I'm going to summarize it, you've got, you, you have more of an advisory role than a traditional system integrator.
1: So, advisory, but the big difference is that we can then execute and implement, and that's mm-hmm. what you know uh, and that's why it's a bit of dif- tongue in cheek with uh, Accenture because uh, they can execute and they've got p- global centers all around the world. yeah, I'm just saying we're we're a local provider that can give advice and then uh, mm-hmm. implement from that perspective.
0: Are there specific industries that you specialize in?
1: um so yes, there are, and that's because of the how we built out the business and the enterprise clients that we have mm-hmm. so. Um, you know, from a plus one X perspective, going all, all the way back to, you know, scaling the business, it's around having business. What we've got is we've effectively got access to enterprise clients. Um, we have platforms, which is basically our HR finance. Um, and then we have our uh, black partners that have invested in us, which allow us to be over over 51% black owned, 30% black female, which allow our, our um Uh, joiners as we call them people that we acquire come on board to to deliver into the enterprise side okay the the first phase of that was in was a company called Nashua Communications which if you go all the way back to its history was uh, the Siemens business here in South Africa that's right which was owned by Roynet as part of us uh, and Roynet being our investment partner we used that business to scale out we're very, very fortunate that business had some great clients both on the banking side of things Uh, On uh, so the financial services, mining, uh, and then uh, in the university space. Mm -hmm. Um, So long way of answering your question, but to say you know from a uh, you know those those are the core areas that we that we 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 started the business on, and then we're able to lay on top. Yeah.
0: And you've made a number of acquisitions in the last little while. Um, Maybe just very briefly take us through those.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So, I mean, uh, from an acquisition perspective, you know, we call them joiners. And going back to my lessons from go all the way back to that PeopleSoft Oracle, you know, if an acquisition is uh, um, acrimonious, it's never going to work. So it Mm -hmm. needs to be a a win-win situation. So we actually want the businesses to join us and then scale out. Why, do we, why did we need to do these acquisitions or as we call them joiners, was to build out our services capability mm-hmm. to deliver from our clients. Again, lessons learned there from day one, one brand, so plus one X. So to, the first uh, acquisition we did was a company called Datacore Media in the digital media space, so Facebook, LinkedIn, Google, and bringing that into, into the data side of things. So that's our plus one X uh, digital, digital media capability. Um, the next one was around again, following our clients' needs. You know, we we, we built out our cloud business into the hyperscalers, uh, but a lot of our clients were saying, "Well, what can you offer us and deliver for us here in South Africa?" And hence, uh, Triple H were the next one in the in on the cloud space, and we scaled out that. Um, and then the, 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 the third one, so they're actually five, but if I forget okay. them, the third one was uh, Code Maven in the software dev space, um, and that was you know grown from. Uh, you know, over just over a year ago, joining us as Plus One X software dev, they've gone from ninety to about one hundred and eighty um, software dev consultants. Oh. Uh, you know, doing design, build, and operate in the in on, on the software dev side, um, and then uh, our, our our last <coughs> last two are um, you know EUC Africa and the end user computing side, so around Citrix and Microsoft, um, and then. All the way back. Sorry, I missed the the the, the other one was mm-hmm. the Roynet ICT uh, business that uh, was providing uh, licensing and managed services within Roynet. So that, that, that's where we are as we are currently nice. today. Roughly about 350 uh, people in in Kay. the business providing those services.
0: And in terms of your acquisition strategy, where are the gaps that you? Uh
1: um, so yeah, so f- from a, a build out perspective, you know the areas that we've got gaps in are in the in the data side of things. So we we've got a small bit, uh, data business, but you know d- data. Um, you know, somebody asked me, "Well, what are the top themes for uh, FY 2023?" And I think one of the big ones is around understanding data, uh, you know, both internally and then how to monetize it. So you know, in the data space, we, you know, we need to we need to scale up, um, and then in the security space, mm-hmm. um, we also need to uh, scale up. So those those are two that we've uh, we've identified.
0: And and what sort of a war chest do you have to make acquisitions? Um, you're obviously part of Roinet. Uh Alan Dixon was in in the studio a couple of weeks ago. Last week, I think. Um, does he has he made Roinit's cash uh, resources available for you to go on a Buying spree, uh, to what extent can you actually scale up through through bigger acquisitions?
1: <coughs> yeah, so very good question. So, it's, I mean, one of the benefits of being part of Royal Enemy is is access to the uh, you know, mergers and acquisitions um, capability and also to, to the working capital, as you've called it, the, the, the war chest. Yes. Um, and, you know, for us, it's, we've got a business plan from a plus one X perspective. Uh, as as mentioned, data and security. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are looking at w- and working very closely with um, with Alan and the team around what other what other areas can we scale out there. Um, so you know, it's uh, if I've got the if I put the right business case in uh, on the table, mm-hmm. you know, the, the investment from a from a ROI perspective. Uh, will will happen. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, so okay. so, so it's very. So not very. just uh,
0: small bolt-on acquisitions. You could do something big.
1: Yeah. So we could do something big. and then that's you know that is the exciting uh, part of why yeah. you know why we went with Roynet as our investment partner.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you two final questions. The one is pertaining to the IT industry, and the final one is pertaining to the country. Uh, I want to ask you about the state of the IT industry in South Africa. Uh, you've been in this industry for a long time. Uh, there seems to be a uh, um, On one side of things, there seems to be a shortage of skills. On the other side of things, there's not much employment going on at the moment. Companies are really feeling the pressures. What's your sort of broad take on the state of the IT industry in South Africa right now and where it's going?
1: Very good question. So um, the state of the IT industry um, is very positive in South Africa. And part of the reason why, coming back with Dimension Data, was that one of the things I always found about South Africans, we make things happen. Mm -hmm. And it's exciting because... You know, having lived in the UK, I, I say to people there, you know, the people go deep with the technology, and, and whereas in South Africa we go broad and we get exposed to things a lot quicker, faster, and we try and we fail fast, mm-hmm. and, and that's so exciting about South Africa. Um, but you know, the, the 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 flip side of that is that you know people know um, on a global stage that South Africans make things happen, and therefore, um, going back to you, the demand for our technologists is is going up, and uh, you know, one of the things that COVID taught us, you can work for work from anywhere. You mm-hmm. know, so um, you know we we we're not competing on a global stage. So the challenge for us, going back to your thing, there is a skill shortage. Um, in my opinion, there's a work experience and experience shortage, mm-hmm. as opposed to um, you know qualification experience. And I think we've got unbelievable institutions, uh, universities, technicons. And then we've got people investing in uh, organizations like, uh, you know, We Think Code, uh, uh, Code Lady, I think it's Code Lady, or Mm -hmm. Girl Code, sorry. There there are lots of um, institutions and people that are investing in qualifications. Our challenge is as an enterprise and as an industry Mm -hmm. is how do we give them that experience? Because everybody's so busy, they're under pressure. Um, So we've been working with some financial institutions to build out what we're calling our work experience platform. And that's really, is. so Morgan who heads and, and Darby who head up uh, our software dev business, they call it the missing middle because mm-hmm. it's how do we get people that are qualified to be an experienced software dev engineers. Um, and we need to build out that work experience. Uh, and so ultimately what we, we're working with our, uh, with, with three of the banks, uh, where, where they giving us pieces of work to fulfill so it is not quite outsourcing it's a partnership model and what we're doing is we're putting young grads onto those programs with our experienced people to deliver that and after six months you know those people have got good experience and that's the real challenge we have Mm -hmm. in South Africa Uh, you know I think with the digital economy that we have people have got access to it but how do we get that experience and 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 I'm a big believer uh, in, how, in, in what do we do in that space? And we're working with the likes of Clickatel, Peter de Villiers mm-hmm. uh, as well. Who's, who's, they've got, we've got some great initiatives and that's why I'm very excited about the future of IT in South Africa.
0: Okay. Now, what about the country as a whole? Uh, we're uh, sitting recording this. We've got stage five load shedding going on. makes it very difficult to do business. Uh, you're positive about the outlook for the IT industry. What about the country more broadly?
1: Um, so more broadly, I'm you know I'm, I'm a true South African, so mm. I'm you know I'm going to look at the the glass half full, I, and just I just believe that I, I, here as South Africans, you know we just make things happen um, except I, electricity, uh, except electricity. But even <laughs> then, if you if you look at and you you said you had uh, Alan from Roynet uh, yes. uh, in here, and if you look at Roynet, we've we've there's a whole lot of stuff we're doing in mm. uh, renewable energies yes. as one of the segments, and yeah. going back to it, you know. Throw a problem at a South African, we'll find a solution and we'll make it happen. So, whilst whilst, whilst the, the you know we, we are going through some tough times, you mm-hmm. know, um, you know if, around political tough times, we're going through some tough times around load shedding. But as South Africans, you know, I'm I'm optimistic, and that's why I came back 15 years ago to make a difference. And you know, I'm I'm sure we'll make a difference, and we'll we'll, we'll see through it. We'll 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 make a plan. That's for sure.
0: Rob Godlinton is founder and CEO of Plus One X. Thank you so much for being our final guest on TC Daily for 2022. Have a great break and uh, we'll catch everybody in the new year. Thanks, Rob.
1: Thank you very much. Really appreciate it, Duncan. All the best. Thank you.